Well, welcome back, uh, everyone. Uh, it's good to see you. I hope you're excited with me uh, because this week we are starting a new sermon series uh, that I believe is going to take us through most of the rest uh, of the year. Uh, we're going to be studying the book of Acts, uh, which is this uh, pretty large book and is really a pretty big story uh, when it comes to the New Testament. Um, you know, I don't know if you've seen as of late, uh, but when it comes to movies uh, and stories and in pop culture, something that's become really important as of late is the origin story, right? Have you heard that term before, the origin story? In, a latest, in the last 10 years, Marvel's kind of taken over and started all these origin stories about these famous comic book characters. And I don't know if it's because we like to know the beginning of things, uh, if we like to know what people's motivations are, these superheroes, how they got their powers, uh, the bad guys that they're fighting, but Hollywood is cashed in on the desire of people to understand the origin story. And uh, for those of us who are familiar with how the Bible is made up, the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and those are the Gospels. That's the good news. That's the origin story of Jesus, his origin as a man with his time on earth, uh, the beginning of his ministry, his miracles, and eventually his unjust trial, execution, and resurrection. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all about uh, Jesus. Acts that we're going to be going through is basically the church's the organized church's origin story. Even though this is 2,000 years ago in history, this is the beginning of the church as we know it. The very church that we are part of and understand 2,000 years ago was founded then. It reveals to us why things were done the way that they were. And I think that a review of that story can be a really important reminder and encouragement and kind of a blueprint for the things that we want to do uh, as a church. It's also an origin story of the Holy Spirit in Acts. The Holy Spirit is this really big deal to us uh, as a church now, but it didn't come until after Jesus had left and in this book of Acts. And eventually, we're going to learn how this Holy Spirit is necessary in empowering its believer, the believers in Jesus into becoming the witnesses, becoming those who testify for, becoming the builders of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is going to play a very crucial and important role. It's the origin story of the church. It's the origin story of the Holy Spirit. And really, the reason I wanted to preach through this is because our little church, our infant young church is in a very similar state. This little church is in its infancy. I know it's been a year and a half, but when it comes to church histories, congregations, local congregations, and what they have for history and all the things that they've gone through, our little church is still in its infancy. It's still stretching, and it's still changing, and we're still experimenting, trying to find our way, finding the things that makes Life Fellowship Church unique and different, finding its role in the kingdom of God. We're going to find similar circumstances in acts of stretching and changing and experimenting. Some strategies for them, they're not going to work. Some of them will work, but a lot of things are trial and error for them. It was not easy in the beginning of the early church. After Jesus left, they didn't just start attending churches 
on Sundays. There wasn't just buildings on every block that they could go to. They didn't just start picking up acoustic guitars and singing the latest Chris Tomlin cover. That, that's not what they did. They needed to figure out a lot of new things on their own. There was a lot more. There was a lot of trial and error and figuring things out. And I think that's why we are going to go back. That's why we're going to focus on this Acts story, see what the church was made up of, learn from them, glean from them, learn from their example so that we can get back kind of to resetting, doing what the church was made to do in the beginning. We're going to see how that Acts story fits in a 2019 life fellowship context. And we're also going to read through it to celebrate victories, to celebrate the earliest believers the trials that they overcame. So we're gonna go back. Acts is a direct continuation of the Gospels. So as we know it, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts is a direct continuation of the Gospels. Now the Gospels, in case you're not certain, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they basically overlap in time. It's a retelling of Jesus' story over and over and over again on those four ways from four different eyewitnesses. And so they have that timeline, and then right after that, literally days after, is where Acts picks up. After Jesus' crucifixion, the apostles and the other followers of Jesus, as you can imagine, they were quite lost. Jesus was quite a leader. He was a teacher, a rabbi. He was their inspiration. He was their hero. And so for him to depart, was a very big deal to those early believers. Imagine, they were lost. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how they were supposed to continue on. Now, believe it or not, Jesus actually stuck around for 40 days after his crucifixion and resurrection. He, 40 more days, he hung around and he would pop in here and there uh, and give them encouragement and, and, and he would uh, give them hope and inspiration because they were so lost. Now, one of the final times is actually in the beginning of Acts, chapter 1. One of the final times that Jesus addresses his followers is found in Acts, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says there, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John, he baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is imparting hope with the promise of a gift to them, the Holy Spirit. Apparently, this Holy Spirit is going to empower them with the ability to go outside of Jerusalem, to go outside to the ends of the earth eventually and become witnesses. This is going to be a central and foundational theme for the book of Acts being witnesses. All of Acts is in some way related to this very truth. We are about to be being witnesses. 
They are about being witnesses, testifying to Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. Now, this is a really big deal. This is a big charge being put on them. A lot of us are familiar with the, uh, the uh, um, Great Commission, uh, Jesus telling them that you have to go disciple and baptize. And this is a large charge for them. Imagine us with all of the difficulties of learning how to become a new and young church, uh, myself in leadership. There are a lot of processes uh, that came with becoming a new church. We had to write bylaws. We had decided how and when we were going to meet. We decided what we were going to look like. And those things have changed in some degree because it's so hard to look at all the varying and moving pieces of being a church in and of itself. And that's for us our little bit. These guys are starting the church as we know it. This is the beginning of Judeo-Christianity from the very, very beginning. Can you imagine how hard that is? They're not just starting a tiny little church in Circle Pines. They're starting the church for the world with the epicenter of Jerusalem and then further out and further out. That is a big deal. You're gonna kind of need something to lean on you're going to need this special gift, this empowering gift of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a central theme of going out, being witnesses, and they're going to need that Holy Spirit to fill them up, give them power to be able to do the miraculous things that they're going to have to do to be the church, the very first church. Peter is soon going to recognize that the undertaking that Jesus has called him to is going to be large. It's going to be difficult, that they're all going to have to pick up their slack. They're all going to have some piece to carry of this mission. And so Peter is already thinking, well, there's already, there were 12 apostles, and up until a few months ago, we had, there was 12 of us, and we have to replace one more, because Judas had betrayed Jesus. As we know that story, Judas led the uh, uh, Sanhedrin to Jesus that would eventually nab him and crucify him, and, and Judas ended up meeting not a very good end uh, because of his betrayal uh, to Jesus. And so Peter knows that we're going to need to be in full force, and we're going to have to have a replacement. So later in, first, in uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 20, uh, he's going to talk about this inspiration that he has uh, from a combination of Psalms chapter 69 and uh, Psalm chapter 108. So here in verse 20 it says, For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, and they're talking about Judas here, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And they're speaking here to Judas's kind of really unfortunate end, uh, because Judas went and he took the money that he was paid to betrayed Jesus, those 30 pieces of silver, he went out and he bought a field, and either the way God struck him or the way he died, he fell over, and it was just this really brutal and kind of violent, ugly death. I, and, and so here, um, Peter is reminded of Judas's ending, and he thinks of Psalms. May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, because the field that he bought was just kind of this cursed land that Judas had purchased. And then Peter thinks to Psalm 108, may another take his place of leadership. Peter wants to be in full force. He wants to make sure that they've got all the troops that they're going to need 
because in a very, in only next chapter, next week, they're off and they're starting big and he wants to be fully uh, back in force. And so Peter has this special criteria, things that he thinks are important in choosing who that next leader is going to be. And so Peter said this, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. If you remember about three or four months ago, we went through the uh, the hashtag Jesus series, and basically that's what we covered. We, co- we covered all of Jesus' life. And Peter is calling for a witness. He is calling for one of the men who's been a part of Jesus' entire ministry to be a part of the apostleship, to become the 12th man. And here's that special word again, that, that witness. Peter says that they are going to need someone who's been there the whole time because the new apostle is going to have to testify to what he's seen. Peter wants someone who's had firsthand account to Jesus' life and ministry. Why? I mean, that's, there weren't a lot of them. Later we're gonna find that the whole troop, the squad that's there, is only 120. And of the people to, to choose from, there's only two viable options that Peter has to choose from. So why such stringent parameter? Why is he so careful as to who is worthy to take place of that leadership? Because it's gonna be dangerous. Because it's gonna be hard. Because you're gonna want someone who's had that firsthand account because of the things that they are going to be put through. Peter might be able to look forward and to see what they did to Jesus himself. They killed him over this. They killed him over what Jesus said he was and what he was bringing in and what he was gonna shake up and what he was going to change. Perhaps Peter is in recognition that the road forward, the journey ahead, creating a foundation of the church is not going to be easy. And if they are gonna start rounding them up, if they are going to start collecting these people who won't shut up about their Jesus faith, then he knows he needs someone who saw this story, who saw the miracles, who saw the dove land on Jesus in his baptism, who saw the water turn into wine, who saw all the things that Jesus said he was going to do. Because later when they've got a sword to my throat, when they've got a sword to their throat, you want this guy to be able to say, no, I saw it, that was the truth. He didn't hear it secondhand. He didn't hear it thirdhand. It wasn't a happen chance story. He wasn't in a bar and overheard the story of about Jesus. No, he's first degree, saw it for himself. You have a sword against my throat and he's ready to testify. He's ready to witness. Peter saw it fit that this was a guy who saw it for himself. And is it a very important parameter for playing Witness. If I told you that I'd heard a story or a rumor or something about another guy, aren't you going to be critical of me? Won't you be nervous about my story and whether it's something worth paying attention to? Peter wants someone who's going to say that they were there themselves, that they saw the things that Jesus had done, that he'd be able to testify to them in person. 
Again, maybe it's Peter's wisdom because he's looking ahead and he's able to see maybe the road ahead will be arduous. Maybe it will be difficult. So to have someone who has witnessed Jesus' ministry is better suited to endure the responsibility of being a witness. Now it's funny, we, we have the same charge as those first followers. Again, even though this is 2,000 years ago, we have the same charge in us from the Great Commission, being a part of the same church that's now over 2,000 years old. We have the same charge as those first followers. We too are to be witnesses that participate in testifying to the gospel and bringing it to the ends of the earth. That's us. We have that same job. But here's kind of a tension. Here's a little wrinkle. We're not, we're not eyewitnesses, are we? I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. Were you? Was, it, was anyone here? Not even close. We know the story. We've read about it. But we're not necessarily eyewitnesses. Does that mean that we are disqualified? Does that mean that we are not apt, that we are not ready to testify to the gospel, that we wouldn't be called up? Of course not. No, that's not what that means at all. Although we didn't physically see Jesus' ministry, we can see him at work in our lives constantly. We do this every week, don't we? What do we call them? God sightings. Every week we come together and we testify to one another how we have seen God working in our lives. No, we weren't there physically, but we see him at, our work, at work in our lives constantly. I mean, personally, Reggie, that's, that's what I do. That's what Reggie does when he prepares messages, when he prepares stories, when he tries to talk with people about God working in his life. I take the stories, I take the antidotes, I take the things that I've seen and I string them together in a way and share it, witness it to others, testify it to others, so hopefully it glorifies God. But if I haven't had some direct moments of God's work in my life, if I haven't had the big God sightings, the moments where I know there's no way that was chance, there is no way that that was coincidence, if I haven't had those moments in, I, in my life, if I haven't felt the personal love of Jesus, I wouldn't take those stories. I wouldn't put myself in a place of witnessing and testifying and potentially making myself look like a dummy to the people out there. No, I can witness, I can testify. God does exist in my life. I didn't see it firsthand, but I see it every day, and I am convicted by it. We should all be convicted by it, convicted to the point of setting aside our self-preservation as believers, shucking the fear of exposing ourselves as Jesus followers. We are convicted to play witness because we have seen the truth. We tell others the good news because it is life-saving news. How do we share then? How are we to share? We witness by word, and for life fellowship, we witness also by action. We testify to Jesus' presence in our life by being Jesus to others in their lives. Let me say that again. 
We testify to Jesus' presence in our life by being Jesus to others in their lives. This is Life Fellowship's story. That's what we are all about. Here I put up our uh, condensed mission statement, enjoying and sharing God's love to draw others to his fellowship. It's a little bit trickier now than it was 2,000 years ago. There, Jesus was this brand spanking new story, something absolutely new. They had their prejudices against it, certainly, but it was something new. Living in 2019, however, everybody has gotten some flavor of Christianity that has been negative, that has been critical, that has been, I'm better than you, that has been this pious, judgmental thing for some reason. And so we, in our experimenting, in our growing, LF has learned that you can't witness simply in word, but we must do in action also, which led us to this vision statement, enjoying and sharing God's love to draw others to his fellowship. We have found that the more connected we are to one another, the more dedicated we are to each other, the more that we love one another, the more that I put each one of you ahead of myself, and the more that you put your, uh, me ahead of yourself, the more we're able to do that in this selfless way, for some reason, draws other people. For some reason, when they see the love of God in us, they can be drawn to it. And God is using us in that way to draw others to himself. This is our story. And so hopefully reading, again, just in this first Acts 1 story, you see that they, Jesus is preparing them for the Holy Spirit, he is preparing them to be a witness. And so really, very simply, that's kind of our takeaway this week. Very simply, prepare for the Holy Spirit and prepare to be a witness. That's chapter one. Prepare for the Holy Spirit. Prepare for its empowering. Prepare for it to give you opportunity, to give you ability, to give you the words that you didn't know that you had inside of yourself. Prepare for that Holy Spirit and prepare to be a witness. I love just this last couple of weeks, I've seen a couple of our own members have opportunity to do that, who've been sort of had their radar on for hurting people, lonely people, and have found them and invited them, shared with them. That to me is that mission statement at work. Now we're gonna get into that more so in the following weeks as far as acts go, but this week, our takeaway, prepare for the Holy Spirit, pray for that Holy Spirit, and prepare to be a witness. I wanna end today's message with sort of this lifter. You know, it's really neat how in the chapter, uh, verse four through eight, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit's coming, and I am going to empower you through that Holy Spirit, and his Disciples ask this, is it then that you are going to make whole the kingdom of Israel? They say, they ask about Israel specifically. And Jesus kind of corrects them. Uh, and he says, no. He says, no. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, and all of Samaria, and to the ends of all of the earth. Those guys, they were caught up in what was just around them. And I don't know if it's of any encouragement to you, but we are playing the very last parts 
of this mission. We are on the end of bringing everything to the ends of the earth because it has been preached in Judea. It has been preached in Samaria. It has been preached in Jerusalem. And you and me, we here together are still preaching together, being witnesses to the ends of the earth. We are still part of this ever important mission of finding the lost, finding the hungry, finding the naked, finding the imprisoned, finding those who are sick. We are, we are charged to be witnesses to them, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and to finish this mission. So be prepared for the reception of that Holy Spirit and be prepared to play witness. Let's pray. Dear Father, I am so thankful that we have your scripture to turn to. Lord, I know that without it, we'd be very lost because we're able to see the spiritual wisdoms left for us spoken thousands of years ago. We can see our instruction. We can see the mission at hand. Uh, Father, as we prepare ourselves for that Holy Spirit, as we prepare to play witness to uh, your testimony, to, to, to your life and ministry, your death and resurrection, as we prepare to do those things, Father, I pray uh, that that Spirit would empower us beyond our fears, behind our, our, our nervousness, uh, behind you know, the things that would keep us from sharing faith, sharing your Son's love with other people. And said, God, I pray that you would replace any of the fears or nervousness with excitement, uh, with joy, uh, that you would continue to lift up the fellowship that we have, uh, seeing the love and the joy uh, of our connection to one another and using that uh, as a fuel to go out uh, and to share your love with other people. God, I know that uh, we have a lot of acts uh, ahead of us, and so I pray particularly uh, that you'd continue to prepare our hearts and our minds for the wisdoms that are going to unfold in the following weeks. I pray these things in your Holy Son's name. Amen.